Hey everyone and welcome to the return of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. As always, these Welsh tones that you hear that you haven't heard for a, a while is the Undisputed King of the Mods, or maybe I'm the Undisputed King of the Pods once again, Flash Morgan Webster. And I'm here, I guess you already know why I'm here, but I'm here to try to distract you a little bit from the uh, the ongoing chaos that we have in the real world. I'm going to try my best not to mention the C word, the Q word, or the L word. You should kind of know what those words mean. But yeah, I'm going to try to avoid that because, again, I'm trying to use this as a platform for everyone to kind of be distracted for about five, five minutes to an hour, two hour and a half, however long these conversations, discussions, gatherings. I like that word, gatherings, go with your wrestling favourites, or as I like to call them, my wrestling friends. Yeah, as I said, it's been quite a while since I've released one. Maybe six months, maybe a year, possibly a year since I've released a podcast. And I'll tell you why. Um, the real reason behind it is I absolutely adore doing these podcasts. Um, I love it. I love sitting down and chatting to people. It makes me feel closer to people. It makes me feel um, like I learned something new. And I come out of every conversation I have with people uh, with a greater understanding and, you know, a deeper friendship but I'll tell you what I do absolutely despise, and it's the editing process of this. So uh, I used to stick to the 45-minute f- format, and I can see why other people have stuck to that format. Because a 45-minute to an hour podcast can take two to three hours to edit. And towards the end, I was doing three-hour episodes, and they were taking me at most of four to five hours to edit. Um, and I was speaking to somebody recently, and I did uh, a trip to London uh, took me three hours on the train and I had three podcasts lined up and uh, all three of them, uh, well, two of them cancelled and then one of them was running late and unfortunately then, because it was supposed to be a wrestling show, I had to get the last train home, didn't happen and I just thought myself, between the uh, the editing it went into and the fact that I'd spent money and a whole day in London trying to get podcasts and didn't get it done, I kind of just pushed it to one side and I'll come back to that at some point. And I never did. But I'm back. I'm back to try to save you. Save you from the boredom. Save you from your own mind. Save you from uh, from the isolation. But uh, yeah. Um, this is usually the part of the podcast where I say to you. Hey. If you want to help support me. Uh, then jump over to my big cartel. But I'm not going to do that. Again. Put this podcast, pass, uh, put this pod- podcast back. To help you guys and girls. And who. Or ever how you de- identify. And. Uh. I really just want to help you take your mind off it. So I'm not going to ask you to uh, support me financially. A lot of people are in financial situations at the moment and it could get a lot choppier. So uh, what I am going to ask you to is if you do want to support this podcast, maybe you listen to this podcast today and you think this is great. I really, really enjoyed this and I want to support it. And the best way you can do that, the best way you can do that is uh, tweet it out. I'm on the social media at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter uh, maybe give me a Facebook post. I am for facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster on the Facebook. And I'm on Instagram. So maybe drop me in your stories at Flash Morgan Webster. You can tell I haven't done that in a while. Usually you can just roll these off uh, really, really easy. Yeah, give me give me a shout out on there. Or maybe, maybe give me a five star uh, review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict or wherever, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, maybe chuck me on Reddit. Maybe you're a member of Reddit. You want to chuck it on there and tell me you really enjoyed this podcast. Maybe you have a wrestling forum. Maybe you have a Facebook group. Maybe you have a community that you uh, talk about wrestling a lot in. I don't know. Could be a Shakara fan base. That's for everyone who knows who today's guest is. Could be a Doree fan base for anyone who's, who follows me. And just, you know, push it out there. If I can give you something 
to take your mind off it for the next week, two weeks, however long this goes. And in return, by the time we get out here, I have a big enough following from that that I am able to get a good sponsorship deal. And that sponsorship deal is able to pay for the editing of the podcast. So I never, ever have to go near editing a podcast ever again. That would be absolutely great. And then, you know, you win, I win. I get to continue to do the podcast. I love you continue to get to listen to the podcast and I never have to edit again. And somebody else makes a little bit more money from it because I can pay them to edit the podcast. That would be absolutely fantastic. So yeah, please, if you enjoy the podcast, tweet it out, do any of that stuff and uh, support, support, support. Okay, so today's uh, today's guest is the wonderful Mike Quackenbush. I did record this podcast uh November, December. So I, again I did have I did have intentions of releasing more episodes. This just didn't happen. And uh but, but don't worry, you're getting it now. It's a, a fantastic episode. Um I sit down and chat with him uh on a car journey from Cardiff to Wolverhampton where he's staying at the time and it's about an hour's long. Uh I did thanks to the wonderful uh Kelly Six uh who was able to clean this up a little bit. As I said, I am driving during this episode, so there is a bit of noise in the background uh mike thankfully speaks so well so clearly so eloquently and so loudly that you hear him all the way through there is a little bit in the middle i am told that uh gets a little bit loud so apologies about that but please stick with it it's an absolute fantastic podcast and uh, i think in that hour we cover a nice little breakfast stuff we talk about uh mike's uh mike's pre-show playlist and you'll hear the song that he loves to listen to right at the start of the podcast and then we kind of talk about uh, his love of superheroes and and comic books and how that kind of intertwined with his love of wrestling. And then we talk about how his creative style kind of forged Shikara and that defined a generation. And then we get into the nitty gritty about his 25 year anniversary. And there's some uh, bits and pieces all the way through. And I think, to be honest, it's just a lovely conversation. I tell you what's really nice about this one is... Um, while editing it, because I am now recording this post-edit, um, it's been three months since I listened to this episode, and uh, I finished it. Uh, I pulled up, we pulled up, I uh, stopped recording, I dropped Mike off, and I had a drive then back in mind, forty-five minutes. And on the drive, I kind of said to myself, mm, I don't know if I enjoyed that episode, and it's nothing to do with Mike. Mike's absolutely fantastic in it, but with myself, usually when I'm doing these, um, I usually have a list of questions in front of me. I'm usually two or three steps ahead of the conversation list. I'm usually kind of plotting where I'm taking up. It's something I've been able to kind of learn over the last two years, listening to other podcasts, learning how they do it, uh, chatting to other people along the way and kind of figuring out how I do that. So I'm always one step or two steps ahead of the person I'm having a conversation with and I can kind of guide it to where I need it to go. Of course, during this episode, I am driving. So I'm trying to have a conversation with Mike Lister, what he's saying while watching the road, making sure that I'm, uh, you know, concentrating and stuff like that so I think I came away from this not fully kind of happy with how I did in this podcast but I did listen to it back before um today and I'm really really glad I get to put this one out this one's an absolutely fantastic episode with somebody who really has one of the best wrestling minds uh, of all time he really does there's a reason why he's had a 25 year career and there's a reason why he's still as relevant today as he was 15 years ago when I first got introduced to him so, uh, yeah, um, I guess that really does sum it up. Um, and I hope that uh, this conversation with the wonderful Mike Quackenbush is a little escape for the next hour. So, yeah, when you sit back, relax and enjoy what is an absolute wonderful gathering.
with Mike Quackenbush and I just stopped for a second because I realised that I didn't say the word facilitator. So yeah, facilitator. Enjoy, people. <laughs> Which I think, given the fact that we are on your 25th anniversary tour <laughs> is the most... Wait. Oh, wow, that does take yeah. on a new significance, yeah, doesn't it? It really, it really does. Oh, wow. So, why is that in your, did you say this is your pre-match playlist? So, what did you say? I would say for the last uh, 11 years, whenever I am driving to a Chikara event, doesn't matter where it is, if it's five minutes from home, if it's five hours from home, whatever it is, when I am four minutes from the venue, I put on holding back the years by simply red. Okay. And it's the reverse of what I used to do when I was young in the business. I needed a playlist that got me hyped to go and do the thing. So I needed like motivational rock. I needed stuff that got me feeling up. That I got out of the car with my fist balled up, pumped to the sky, like, yeah, let's go do this. Um, and I think through all the years of doing Chikara now, it's like 18, 19 years of Chikara. Um, I went through a lot of years where I could not manage the stress of Chikara very gracefully. Um, it made me at times behave very rudely uh, in ways that I found very embarrassing. And I had to get to a point where I could walk out there and I would ask myself, like, today, can I be the leader that I want to be for these people? They trust me. They're here carrying out the thing that I created. i got to be the right leader for them. And I realized, like, the headspace that I'm in right before I walk in and begin being the guy that steers the Chikara ship is really critical. I have to be in the right frame of mind to do it. And there's something about holding back the years. And I must have five different versions of it. So I can mix them up. If I, if I got a weekend where I got a bunch in a row, you know, yeah. um, there's the live in Cuba, there's the live in Sicily. There's oh, the you, are big, you are a big fan. Oh, yeah. I got a live one where it's just Mick Hucknall doing it alone acoustic on a guitar. There's something about that song that puts me in the right headspace to do it. And it's over the last 10 years. That's that's what I do. Four minutes out from the building. When the GPS says four minutes till I arrive, I put that song. That's crazy. Like, of all the songs that you would have liked. So when you were younger in the business and you were putting on, so what sort of would be the go-to when you wanted to like really get hyped what would it be to go to then uh, I, I mean I know how awfully cheesy this is going to sound oh, but it's, on, love the it's the touch by Stan Bush <laughs> love it I would sing every word uh, like that's so right in touch with my childhood and what it feels to be powerful that end scene of the Transformers animated movie where Hot Rod turns into Rodimus Prime and it's like I'm an adult now and I'm not just an adult I'm the leader of the Autobots and the only one that's going to save us all is me because I've got the touch. I've got the power. That's fantastic. Right, for anyone who does not know the voice that he's speaking at the moment, uh, I am joined today, of course, by uh, the one, the only, Mike Quackenbush. We are driving back from Wales. So this, I think this is the first, yeah, this, this is the first driving one I've ever done. I think I might have recorded one in the car with someone once, but it was stationary because usually a car has good acoustics. I did one in an Italian, no, 
in an Indian restaurant with Rockstar Spud <laughs> and we sat and ate our food. Um, he was he was adamant that we had to do it while we ate our food. So you can imagine anyone who has people have conditions on it where they listen to people eating and making noises and it really goes through and it gets to it becomes some noise. I don't want to call but some people have it. So I had to warn people at the start of that episode. If you have that, <laughs> this is not the podcast for you. But uh, we'll move along. But when you uh, well, you all were doing your twenty fifth year anniversary, did you think that you would be still wrestling at 25 years old from when you started how old were you when you started I was I was 18 my first match is two weeks before I finish high school so May 20th 1994 I have my first match two weeks later I'm wearing a cap and gown and I'm leaving high school to start the University of Pittsburgh I'm off for uni not realizing how terribly that's going to go um, it only took us two years to decide we should see other people and never speak again what did you study I went for journalism. Okay, yeah. I really wanted to be a writer. I think if I could have had my druthers, in truth, I would have grown up to write comics for Marvel. Um, but, you know, the pro wrestling thing's not so bad. Well, also, given the fact that the avenue you went down when it came to pro wrestling, you kind of did write comic books. You are one of the one of the only, I'd say, especially given the fact that you had the Attitude Era, and then you've now gone into this more strong style, and realism era now. I do think your Chicago is one of the still one of the most purest, good versus evil comic book style promotions out there today. Well, thank you. I really do too. So, as I said, did you think, eighteen-year-old you, fresh face coming into the business, that you would would have achieved all that you achieved over those twenty-five years? Well, I guess it's yes and no. So it's if you'd asked me when I started out, will you be doing this twenty-five years from now? I would have said, oh yeah. I'll be doing it 50 years from now. I'll, I'll probably do this till I die. Because I don't understand at that time, right? The 18-year-old version of me does not understand what this is going to do to my body. <laughs> yeah. No clue. Um, I would laugh when my parents would say, you think you're invincible. And I'm like, no, I don't. But I don't, un- I don't even know what that means yet. Um, so, yeah, of course I would have been like, yes. I'll be wrestling in 25 years. What are you, crazy? Like, I'll be winning Super J-Cups <laughs> all the time. All the J-Cups. Uh, because I'm a pig-headed young man. <laughs> Take it back, because I always do like to start this way with my podcast. And people, of course, jump and flick it. And you're a great storyteller, so I think this is a, is a great way to do it. But what's your earliest memory of wrestling? When can you remember when you fall in love with wrestling? Well, my earliest memory is not when I fall in love. Okay, so give us both of that. So my earliest memory is Kyle Baskowski, who lives two doors down from me. His parents would get the 410 pole pay-per-views every year. Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. And you knew, if you went to Kyle Baskowski's house, when the 10 pole was happening, there was free pizza. His parents would order one that was plain, and one that was pepperoni, and one that had sausage, and one that had mushrooms. Whatever kind of pizza you were into, it was in Kyle Baskowski's house. Four times a year. Rumble, Mania, Slam, and Survivor Series, baby. So, the Hulk Hogan era has begun. It's rock and wrestling time. A lot of my peer group are into wrestling, but I don't get it. And they would say things to me like, Mike, it's just like superheroes come to life. And that would offend me. Because I'm like, then you don't get superheroes. Like, you don't understand what it is to be a superhero if you think that's superheroes. Because balding Hulk Hogan with his fake tan is not Batman. Interesting. Like, yeah, you okay. don't get it. 
So no, I'm not into this thing that everybody else is into. But you know what I am into at that age? Free pizza. <laughs> so, it's WrestleMania 6. All the kids in the neighborhood are making the train over to Kyle Buskowski's house. I'm going to say his last name on this podcast no. so many times. No, I just say, right? I absolutely... So, I, I of course, good friend to Mark Andrews. There's, that's a Mark Andrewism. Mark Andrews will never <laughs> ever... He will tell you a story about something you never met. And he will always have the full name. Yep. And he's got to, like Travis Banks takes Travis Banks can literally list all of Mark's closest friends' full name, and he's never met a single one of them. <laughs> Just one story. That's so yes, beautiful. please keep on calling and keep full naming him. So <laughs> full naming him. I love it. So I go over main event: Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. I watch it for about the first five minutes, and I don't know how much of the first five minutes of that match you remember. But at one point, there's this protracted test of strength where Hulk Hogan just rests, his head dripping with sweat, despite the fact that he's done nothing but pose on the groin of the Ultimate Warrior while he's selling. Yep. And at that point, I just got up and, you know what, like, I guess I could save up my allowance for pizza, but I am not sitting here and watching this garbage for another minute. I don't get why any of you are into this, but I'm not, and I'm out of here. No pizza is worth it. <laughs> right, right. Yes, exactly. That is the conclusion. So then you go forward. Uh, I think it's uh, end of 1990. It's got to be the end of 1991. I'm flipping channels one night. And I get, I land on, I'm, I'm, I believe it has to have been TBS, the Superstation. It's a Saturday night and WCW is on. Now at this point, I don't even know that there's more than one kind of wrestling, Right. And I think that's a misconception a lot of fans probably labor under for a period of time. There's one wrestler. It's it's the one I know from TV, right? It must be that. Yeah. You don't realize there's a thousand flavors of wrestling waiting for you to come and discover. That's a very good way to look at it, yeah. Right? Sure. But it's also, when you pull back into a larger view of it, that's also a weird misconception. It would be like you turned on the radio. In that moment, you hear you too. And you go, oh, that's all of music, right? And you turn the radio back off. What are you two be talking about? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, for me, I'm talking Joshua Tree era, okay. YouTube. Okay. Um, which back then they kind of were. But that's sort of like being, don't you know there's a thousand other bands out there? And there's not just the pop station. There's jazz at the end of the dial. You go the other way, there's classical. There's a blues station that you can only pick up on certain nights when the, you know, the signal's strong enough. Don't you get that there's all this other stuff out there? And of course, in my ignorance, I was like, it's just WWF, right? That's it. Well, what happened to be on the screen at the time was this weird tag team match, and a guy coming out to the ring has got a cape on, like Batman. He's got the craziest mask on I've ever seen, with a horn off the top and two off the sides. He's wearing red and gold and blue. He's covered in a bodysuit from head to toe, and he's not resting his sweaty head on another man's groin. He does a backflip off the second rope and wipes dudes out on the floor. This is Jushin Thunder Liger. And I'm like, what is this? It's pro wrestling. But this is like nothing I've ever seen. And in that moment, I'm like, I want to grow up to be him. How do I get to be him? And now here we are. I t- well, I totally love how you're like the poster boy for what everyone says in superheroes come to life at that point in time is 
Hulkenberg and you being such a big superhero fan has looked at it and gone, no, this is not, this is insulting to what superheroes are. And then somebody who I, I who really is, I guess, in Japan, he is a superhero, he is a superhero. I would never have, if you said to me, if you think of wrestlers that are superheroes, I probably would have said Hulkenberg. And I love, I'd like it probably going to be my top 20 if I was to list it in that way. Wow. Just, because, just because of the way that me not me being a wrestling fan first, I think, and then a, mm. a superhero fan second. With you, the other way around, you were like, no, that's not what a superhero is. And right, we have like diametrically yeah. opposed perspectives on what that means. Yeah, totally. Which I think is absolutely crazy. So how, how long before, so you saw that, and then did you decide, I'm going to be a, for me, like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler? Well, yes, but of course, in my stupidity. So how that, old do you mean at this point? Uh, so I'm 14? Okay. 14 or 15? Okay. Yeah. Wow, I'm bad at subtraction. Um, at that moment, of course, I'm like, I'm going to be that. Like, that's what I'm going to grow up to be. Within a month, I've started my own backyard wrestling company. Oh, good man. I like some of this. Uh, we are in each other's backyards, and then when the crowd is too big, we move to a local park. We go down to the playground. Uh, no one will bother us down there. The local cops don't come around. And uh, every Friday at 3.30, there would be at least one, sometimes two matches on a very good day, three, but mostly just me. Right? It's me and whoever I can talk into <laughs> coming down yeah, to the park. It's like wrestling with you always, yeah. Right. I'm going to bring my boombox down with my cassette in it. I know what my theme is going to be. Which is you yours? bring your cassette. What was it? So, uh, at first, it is The Touch by Stan Bush. And then, only later does it become... So, it's not contemporaneous, but it's right when this starts to take over my life full force. Is Break It Down Again by Tears for Fears. Okay. So, it's, ni- it's, it's 1993. Okay. So, it's the end of 91. I start doing that. Try to get all my friends involved because back then, right? So there really is no internet. I get out the phone book and I flip to the yellow pages, which in the U.S. is where you look for all the, the businesses. Yeah, I'd say we'll be at the yellow okay, pages. Okay, perfect. And I just figure you look up professional wrestling, right? And if there's a business near me that does that, it's going to be in the phone book because how else do you find anything in the world back then, pre-internet? So I flip through. There's nothing. There's nothing listed. Right, you look under professional wrestling, there's nothing. You look under wrestling, there's nothing. There's nothing. And so I just thought, I'll just make it up on my own. And that's where it starts. I love that even from a young age, given the fact that we now know this is tweakers into Chicago and you created your own world and, and what well, you must be four years in, five years in when Chicago became an entity, my path is correct. So I, my first real match, like I'm in a ring in front of customers in a venue, or should I say in front of fans. They weren't all paying customers. Um, it was 1994, May 20th, 1994. Shakara starts in 2002, so I'm about eight years in. Okay, eight years. But I love how even back then you were creating your own stuff. And you, the performer, is what everyone comes, especially my generation, we came to know the, the matches we call your What your legacy Will and I'll be honest, I hope I don't pose offense, but your legacy, I feel, is what you've given to pro wrestling in the sense of the creation of Shikara, which is the alternative. And almost, you were the alternative for the alternative. And I feel like you gave a whole branch of people approaching wrestling in a different way. But I just love how, even 
in your infancy as a somebody who loves wrestling, you're already trying to create stuff. So have you always been naturally creative? Or have you always that's what I was trying to get to that question. Have you always been naturally creative, have you always been making stuff and going to write and pursue that kind of storyline writing and stuff like that. You said you were gonna do journalism. Yeah. I guess that's something you always always liked. Yeah, and thank you for those kind words. That, that means a lot to me that you said that. Um, especially, right, like pull forward to where we are, right? Back in May, I finished my 25th year. I started on the anniversary tour, um, right? You know what I listen to four minutes before I get to the venue. Like, where I've ended up in wrestling, most days, I it's hard for me to look at it with any objectivity, right? Like, you have a more objective point of view on it than I ever will. I, I sometimes, I'm always flabbergasted, like, uh, why am I asked to, like, like, yesterday I'm wrestling Tyler Bate in the main event of the final Fight Club Pro card of the evening. Why am I in that match? Like, and I, I'm not asking that rhetorically, and I'm not asking, but I'm not asking you to answer it for me. I really don't know. When I looked at all the people that were on that card, I am the last of those talents that should be in that main event. I'm the last one. Why am I in that? If, if I can, and again, I'm not cured given uh, a reason because I know this is something you said earlier on, but something you also said earlier on, which kind of rubbed me, was equity. So you've got something that you said has TV equity and that people kind of, it's been built in over years and that can be like in movies and stuff like that. We know yes. like Superman's like one of the best and stuff like that. It's always built in to pop culture. And I guess even if you were to look down and break down the fundamentals of this person looks this way, this person can do this, this person has this, this person has that, your equity alone speaks volumes. You have wrestling equity. That's how I would describe it. If you were to sit down and go, why am I in this main event? It's because your equity alone gives you the right to be in that main event. That, that, that may be one of the very nicest compliments I've ever been paid. Thank you for that. That's how I would see it. But I, I have no perspective on that. Like, I, I've never felt that one day in 25 plus years. <laughs> but yeah, so do you feel that that being creative in that sense then has always been something that you've always been good at? I don't know if I've always been good at it, but it certainly always interested me. You know, uh, even as a teenager, I would write letters into Marvel Comics asking for work. Um, so I remember there was uh, an issue of Sensational She-Hulk when John Byrne was leaving the book. And they might have put, like, a thing at the end of the, you know, like, on the letters page or whatever. Like, hey, John Byrne is leaving the book with this issue. Who knows what's next for She-Hulk? And of course, as a kid, I don't understand that comic books at that time had been written and drawn six months before they ever get to me, right? I read that comment, and I immediately wrote a handwritten letter to the editor-in-chief of Marvel. Like, I heard your writer is leaving. And I know you don't know me. I, I remember, because I wrote this exact line. I know I am a 13-year-old kid that you do not know. <laughs> but I have got a bunch of ideas for where we could take the book. Here's how you reach me. I am ready to start tomorrow. Um, I got no I got no answer. I hope um, to go to somebody that is. Well, uh, here, uh, can I, I'll tell you my weird Marvel comics story. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, sometimes I, I get emotional telling it. So if you hear my voice go up an octave or whatever, you will know why. I read a book called Solo Avengers religiously. And Solo Avengers, in the front, it would be a Hawkeye story, and then in the back, it would be any other Avenger could have a story. 
So you get one Hawkeye story every month, and then the Scarlet Witch. But next month it's Mockingbird. Next month it's the Falcon. It's somebody. There's always Hawkeye's always in the front. Right. And I loved Hawkeye. So Hawkeye having his own book, I'm on board. Soul Avengers whole thing probably runs 33 issues and gets canceled. Its title even gets changed in the middle to Avengers Spotlight to try and get sales to go better. It's not doing well. First 24 issues of are of course are out. I have read all of them except issue 14. Backup story was the Black Widow. Somehow I missed it. I just missed it. Didn't get it. Not because I don't like the Black Widow. Just didn't get it. I wrote in to the guy who oversaw that book. He was a famous Marvel character, uh, like person, not a character. Mark Grunewald. He has since passed away. He is most famous for Squadron Supreme. Does that mean anything to you? It was a 12-issue maxi-series in the 80s that was like, Marvel does the Justice League. Like, if the Justice League was Marvel's, this is what it would be like. And it was called Squadron Supreme. So I wrote in to Mark Grunewald, of course, you know, just an idiot kid. And I'm like, here is my review of every issue of Solo Avengers. This is what I liked about the Hawkeye story. This is what I would have changed. Every issue. The letter goes on for pages. At the end, I write, I'm sorry I could not include my review of issue number 14. It's not in my collection. Otherwise, I would have included the review. Send it off to Marvel. And I figure, like, my She-Hulk one and the letter I wrote to the X-Factor letter pages, no one's going to read this, right? Six months go by. One day I come home from school. Through the mail slot, there's a huge manila envelope with a Spider-Man return label on it from Marvel Comics offices. And I open it up, and inside is a... Before we get to what's inside, just describe for a second how what was racing through your mind. Because my my mind alone is going, oh my God. I'm probably screaming, and no one's at home yet, so there's no one to tell. Whatever's in here, good or bad, there's no one to tell. And I, I'm just like, oh, what is this? So I rip the envelope open. There is a handwritten card, which I still have to this day, from Mark Groom. And he says, Dear Mike, I read your entire letter. Thank you for taking the time to read these issues. Sometimes when I see the sales figures, it feels like no one reads Solo Avengers. And the fact that these books mean so much to you really tickled me. Enclosed is Solo Avengers number 14, so your collection is complete. I can't wait for your review. Oh my god, that is one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, man. And like, I'm misty just thinking about it. Because that was like a life-changing event. <laughs> Please tell me that you wrote a review and said to Oh, you know that. Oh. And, and he wrote me back. Oh. Yeah. I, I have both handwritten letters from him. Now see, like, again, I don't know who he is. Like, I never, I never read those comics, but just kind of like, I, you can equate that, like what I love and stuff like that. The thought that he must, they must have got so many letters at that place. They must. Have. Oh, absolutely. And so, and it took six months. He must have been sitting going through so much stuff. That's that's amazing. That's that's one of the coolest stories I've seriously ever heard. Because it just it just breaks. So, here's a question: because 
you being a big Comic fan, you would have gone to like comic conventions and stuff like that. Did he ever do any conventions? Um, no, and he, he did pass away quite a few years ago. Okay. He was pretty young oh, really? when he passed away. He had a very famous long run on Captain America. That's probably the thing he's best known for. But he contributed to tons and tons of books. I only wish I would have been of the age to start going to comic conventions before he passed away. Um, an addendum to that is when they reprinted Squadron Supreme as a graphic novel at his request, his ashes were put into the ink. If you own one of those prints, he's in the book. Do you own one of those prints? I wish I had one of those. I wish I had one with Grimoire. I don't, know where, I don't know where to go from that. That's, that, that's generally that's such a lovely story. I want to jump ahead a little bit. We'll talk about you setting up the, the Wrestle Factory. Was the idea behind the Wrestle Factory, was it, because again, time for change, was it initially, because I'll say this as well, a lot of wrestlers do start up schools because, well, it's a, it's a good way to make fun, money if you're good at if you're good at teaching wrestling. Sure. You can make money from it. Now, a part of it might have been that reason, but was it that, or was it that you are creating this world, or were about to create this world, and you just wanted to have these wrestlers from the ground up and make them into whatever they wanted to be or whatever you wanted to be? Is that how it came about, or it, it was just kind of born out of? boredom in that I'd say 1998-1999 are the two years where I traveled the hardest. Like those are years where I bet if I look back at my book I've got at least 150 matches each of those years. So I'm going everywhere. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday always booked. Always. I could only keep that pace up for about two years. And everywhere I would go it was roughly the same stuff. It's somebody who doesn't have the budget, but is desperately trying to be the Attitude Era WWE. Or, at the time, they're trying desperately to become the next ECW. That's what they want to be. And it just got so monotonous to see this Friday. So, the two guys I used to travel with the most back then are Reckless Youth, who starts Chikara with me, and Don Montoya, together with the Black T-Shirt Squad. When we would check in with each other, not that most weekends we weren't together, because we often were, but if we weren't and we'd check in with each other on Monday, these are how the calls would go. So where'd you work? I worked, we would call it, we worked a diet WWE and then two wannabe ECWs. What'd you have? Same. See you Friday. The Wrestle Factory was really meant to be where the international styles would be taught so that we could have that melting pot to draw on. It would not be strictly American style. But in the very beginning, Reckless Youth, Tom Carter, very much wanted to be the guy handling the creative for Chikara. I think the, the easiest example I could give you of how he and I deviated. When our first five trainees were ready to have their debut match, and that debut is May 25, 2002, um, we had to dis- determine, like, what are we going to call them? What are they going to wear? What are their characters? Tom and I sat down at the Wrestle Factory, and he said, I know exactly what I want to do with this one guy. We're going to call him Steve the Hitman Hart, and we will say he is the last survivor of the Hart family dungeon. We'll have him wear pink and black, and his finisher will be the sharpshooter. 
That's what I've, I've come up with. And then I sat down and pitched what became Ultramantis Black. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew. And it was, although Tom is not with us very long, by month eight he resigns from the company. It is this fight over what are we making here? Um, when it came time and Tom just resigned, and it was like on the tail end of this long protracted thing in court where we violated a zoning law. And it drained the company funds. We had to hire attorneys to go in and defend us. What's, what is that? I don't understand what that is. So it's like a local city ordinance. And a potential zoning law is this. If you are cleared to have 60 people in your building, you must provide 15 parking spaces outside. Okay. So that's just an example of what it could be. It's just local governance for, okay. for people who maybe should have something more interesting. We had violated the parking ordinance. Our buildings did not have the correct number of spaces for the people inside. We ended up spending virtually every penny that the company had to this point. On the day that Tom resigned and handed me the books, there was less than $10 left in the company account. And his last words as he got in his car, slammed the boot shut, and drove off was, the smartest thing you could do would be fold this company. And I walked back in. It's only the second day of training for Eddie Kingston, Jigsaw, Gran Acuna, Bryce Remsburg, these guys, my second class. And there are the first class, Hollow Wicked, Mr. Zero, Ultramantis, etc., Icarus. And I said, guys, Tom just resigned from the company. And he's left it to me to tell you. I don't really know what we're going to do here, but I think we have two options. We could call it a day and just wrap things up over the next 30 days, and when the rent comes due, we're done. But if not, if you guys want to make a go at this, we're probably in for a real uphill battle these next couple of years, because the amount of money right now in the company bank account is a little bit more than what I'm going to spend on Starbucks tomorrow morning. What do you want to do? All of those lists of people, and these are for me people like Kingston, Jigsaw, Icarus. These are people that came to kind of like I would be sat in my in my room as a well, in my room in Hitch's room as a fourteen-year-old on the other side of the, the world, watching these people, and then going out into his garden pretending to, uh, to bitch slap people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's right. just I love how. You were on the verge of closing this company down. But yet, it went on to become something that's completely, almost like defined the generation. Was it uh, Was it from, was it just from them all saying like, okay, we'll give this a go? Was it from pure belief that I've got this vision and I want it to happen? Or was it again, because you saw this passion that they had for it and you wanted to give it a go because of them or was it just a combination of all of it? Yeah, it's a little bit of all that and it was a lot of, especially in the case of the second class that had just started training, we had just taken a lot of money from these kids and we blew it on attorneys. And what am I supposed to turn around and say to them as a guy, who, even though at that point I'm in my early 20s, I, I'm still a responsible, empathetic human being. Do I just say, I just took your $3,000, squandered it. Good luck, kids. I can't do that. 
right? And I, I don't know if this was something you and I were chatting about just a little while ago. It might have been last night. I'm so jet lagged I can barely keep track. Um, I mean, I mean this very sincerely. Every once and again, at like the annual holiday dinner, and I'm, I'm not close to my biological family at all. Someone, right? It's Aunt Carol at the end of the table, asks something like. Did you ever just think for a minute, Mike, if you hadn't been a pro wrestler, what you might have done with your life? Right? And she means it in a condescending way. Right? Like, couldn't you have been a dermatologist? Couldn't you have done something respectable with your life? And the answer I have always given is, if I wasn't a pro wrestler, I would be a failure. So I can't walk in there and say to those guys, let's just throw them in the towel. Right? Like, if you want to do this, I want to do this. And I owe it to you. Even though the business partner is gone and so is the money, let's go. And for a lot of those early years at Chikara, let's go just meant what maxes out Mike's visa credit. <laughs> That's really what it meant. Was there a, like, was there a moment then where you were scraping by for, you've been scraping by for a while. Was there a moment where you went, wait, I think we've got something here. I think this is, I think this is working. It's the first big tag team tournament we do in 05. Tag World Grand Prix 2005. We, we set out with the idea of, and a lot of times I say we, because I hate to say I, as if like I come up with all the ideas or I do everything. Like that's just never true. There's always somebody somewhere contributing something. There's always someone, even when I don't have somebody that contributes an idea, someone who's my sounding board, that I, I will bounce the idea off them, watch how their face changes, and make a decision based on that. Okay. Um, so I've often had people who say to me, like, why do you say we when we all know you mean I? And, like, I, I really do mean we. We thought, what is the most number of tag teams that have ever been in a tournament? We're going to beat that. And we're going to do the biggest tournament in the history of tag team wrestling. And it was Tag World Grand Prix 2005. And we had to reach out to all the people that we were friends with, some people we were just like acquaintances with, and we had the network. Okay, you're friends with them from them. I need to talk to this guy in Japan this week. And I'm going to just get on the phone with people, say, hi, I'm Mike Quackenbush. You may not know who I am, but in a lot of cases, you know, we were friends or whatever. And I'm going to talk, what you know, whatever it was. It was 24 or 32 tag teams, whatever it was. I'm going to talk them all into coming to Pennsylvania for a weekend to do this thing. And one by one, there's El Generico and Kevin Steen. And there's whomever and whomever. And there's the team from Osaka Pro in Japan. And there's... And we just did it. And then after that, when we saw the, the figures for the DVD sales, it was like, oh, we've caught somebody's attention now. How... DVD sales are very, very the ever-changing model of pro wrestling. I feel like you were definitely one of the ones who were quite on the ball when it came to presenting your stuff, like video on demand and, and pushing that forward. Whose idea was it to kind of go that route? Because again, I feel like you were ahead of the curve when it came to that. You, your stuff seemed to be so much more accessible online mm. than anyone else was. Like WWE, for example, seemed to jump on the network very late to the party. Like, we'd been streaming and watching stuff online for a very long time before that had become a thing. Yeah, I, I always try to just, for a while, my philosophy was, whatever the new thing is, just dive in. Given that, 50% of the time it's going to stick, and 50% of the time it just won't. Um, so, Chikara Podcast to Gogo, which I know is something you're familiar yep. with, it's the 
first video podcast about wrestling ever. There's nothing before it. We are in that space. Like, the term podcast was coined a month later we had a podcast. Do we know podcast was going to mean anything one year down the line? No, we have no clue. But we know that now there's a new video iPod specifically to watch video podcasts. There's a device to support it. Oh, yeah. Right? This is a way of distributing. And there's no one from wrestling in this sphere. It's blue sky for us. Nobody to compete with. Let's go. And so for every one of those, which I can't tell you over the years how many people have said to me, I found you because of Jakara Podcast. Yeah, that's exactly how we found it, yeah. Is the flip side of that story of Podcast Go-Go is Burn Lounge. You know what Burn Lounge is? Not a clue. So Burn Lounge was a music service where on ChikaraPro.com there was a link that's go to our music store. And you could have bought, like, if you wanted Toxic by Britney Spears, you bought it on the Chikara site. And we would get 15 cents. So it's like an Amazon banner. Like most of right. on his. Okay. Except right. it lives on your site. It appears to be you. Okay. So if we wanted to say, this is the music we're listening to this month and download it all from us, you can have our playlists and you can have all that. Burn Lounge as a concept lasted about one year. I don't think in any given month we ever made more than one dollar off of Burn Lounge. But we went all in on Burn Lounge. We had these banners printed up for it. It was on our website. So for every podcast to go-go, there's also a burn lounge. So we're talking about, let's talk about your uh, 25th anniversary tour. Um, so last night you wrestled Tyler Bates, which we've uh, spoke about in depth, about uh, how much of a privilege you thought of us. Who else have you wrestled on this tour for uh, given uh, a, round, a roundup so far? And who else is yet to come? So one of my very favorites thus far was A-Kid. I wrestled him in Madrid. About a month ago. Okay. And what a wonder kid he is. He's just stellar. I reached out to our mutual friend, Zach Sabre Jr., who uh, I think the world of, I know he's listening right now. <laughs> you handsome devil, you. Because um, Zach had put on an absolute banger with a kid that I watched and loved. It's over 20 minutes long. I've seen it. And those long form matches sometimes do not hold my attention. I was on the edge of my seat for every second of it. I said, Zach, in a couple weeks, I'm wrestling with Kim. What do I need to know? I said, Mike, he's a supernova. End of story. Uh, And boy, was Zach right. Uh, I had a blast wrestling him. And I've gotten to wrestle some of my favorite new new students from the Wrestle Factory, up-and-comers at Chikara that I think three and four years from now are going to really be something. And they're in their nascent stage. So I got to wrestle uh, some of those type of guys. There were a few that I reached out to that, for logistical reasons, it became impossible. None broke my heart more than Christopher Daniels. Oh, do you know what? On my list, I did a, I'm just going to touch on it, I did a run at Pro Wrestling Chaos as the champion. Mm-hmm. And I lost it. And on my last one, before we went out, before we decided I would do a lose or leave, he was like, I'm going to have you do a lose or leave, and we're going to do the Christopher Daniels because he's. He is one of my all-time favorites. Yes. And it didn't happen, unfortunately. He is very much like my West Coast analog in the history of American independent wrestling. I'm on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. And we come up at the exact same time. Multiple promoters had promised to put us together. They wanted to do this East versus West style match. They all fell through. 
to this day, Christopher Daniels and I have only ever been in the ring for one trios match for an independent company in New England that did not film the show, and we were together for the length of one arm drag. That's how much time we had together. I think of him as being of the very finest caliber of any wrestler out there, and the way his schedule is and his obligations, we looked at a couple dates that would have worked, and it just couldn't be done. Um, I feel fairly confident now that this will not happen, but there were some very generous people uh, working for a company that is often maligned. Um, And I just want to give a shout out. Thank you to everyone that got me up to the curb of being able to wrestle Cesaro again. Um, And then some things changed and unfortunately just didn't work out. But the fact that they were all willing, not just to entertain him, but to say, we want to do this for you and we're going to help get it done, meant the world. Because they have no reason to care about me, uh, about what Claudio means to me, and that, and they worked really hard to, to try and make that happen for me. That would have meant a lot. How close were you to getting that done? Uh, like, it was really just about where was going to be the open date in his schedule um, that it could be put together, and uh, and then just some stuff behind the scenes changed. But there were a, a lot of people that worked really hard on my behalf for that, and I feel very. And then, um, you know, part of the reason I'm willing to consume all this sugar tonight is, so right now I have really nothing in front of me. 21 of the 25 matches are done. Um, so I'll tell you about two of them. So, do you know Alexander D? I do. Uh, Selfie, as we call him. One of the brightest stars, not just in Irish wrestling, but just European wrestling. I've earmarked a spot for him. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I want to wrestle that guy. Fantastic. And there is one of these matches, and, and I'm telling you this, and there's only one other human I think that knows this story right now, so I'm sharing this with you. Um, there is one of these matches that I will not wrestle. Uh, uh, I, And I'm just saving it's number 23. When I announced my 25th anniversary tour, so I closed out year 25 and I thought, that's the anniversary? What do I want to do to celebrate? Right? Like, does this mean anything to anybody else? No, but it means something to me. And I put a message out online and I said, I'm going to wrestle 25 matches in the year that follows. Some of them are people I've contacted because I want to wrestle them. But there's a couple spots on the list. If it would mean something to you to wrestle me, even if I don't know you, just write me. Send me a message. If we can do it, we will. And then I sent that message out on social media. And, you know, I feel the way I feel about my career. I pushed back from the computer. And I thought, well, time to go get my Starbucks. I wonder if by the time I get back, anyone will have written. So I drove down about a mile from my house. The order was waiting because I order on the app. And I drove back. And my inbox had gone from zero to 153. And I, I was just overcome with emotion. Like, I couldn't believe it. One of the guys who reached out to me was a Scottish wrestler who was named Lion Britain. And we talked back and forth. He and I do have a little bit of a shared past. And I said, I'll do it. I'll come to Scotland. You're one of the 25. And then, of course, as you know, Adrian passed away. So that one's for him. 
you're taking me on a whirlwind with this this podcast, Mike. You really are. We've we've gone we've gone through the the, the Marvel story and that Adrian one. Would you? And again, would you have somebody step in on Adrian's behalf and do that? So, if it was me, for example, I would say, no, I'm done. Because like, no, I was trained by him. Noam, like, was, he was almost like a father figure to Noam. Wow. And I think that man should be absolutely incredible. Well, as I know he listens to your podcast, if Noam feels like he would want to do that, then maybe for him. And if not, I think I'll just hang on to that one. That's, that's totally fair. We had a, uh, you said a couple times on this journey or when we, when you were training earlier on, you said that you feel like your years as an in-ring performer are less than the years you have as, as a trainer going forward. Yeah. And we spoke about the other projects that you have outside the ring, the books that you've written, like the brand new book you've written, and the YouTube project that you're doing. Yeah. What do you feel that you have to give or what do you want to pass on to the next generation that is coming through? What is it that because again, to start these projects like the YouTube one and all this other stuff, you, there must be something you feel is missing in today's pro wrestling that you would like to try to pass on. Perhaps, but I guess like if I'm specifically talking about till we make it the YouTube project, and there's sort of three back-to-back projects that I think are all born out of the same thing. That maybe only in the last, like very recently, did I understand where they come from. And I mean, so the most recent book. That's seven keys to becoming a better performer. The related podcast I did called Kayfabe 2.0 that I did for three seasons. And then the new YouTube project, Till We Make It. They all come from this same place that I only had an epiphany about very recently. Because when I first get onto the independent circuit, I have no mentor or coach. No one to wrestle that. I'm just a liar. I would go into independent locker rooms, lie about the training that I didn't have, and then go to the ring and often have terrible matches. I had some of the worst injuries in my career in those early years, including fracturing my skull and having a seizure in the ring in March of 95. I'm not even a year in, and I wake up in the emergency room on life support, cut out of my costume, wondering what on earth is happening. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> I wish back then there were resources like what I've been creating so that I would not have made all the mistakes that I made. The mistakes I made, whether they were physical ones in the ring, people I offended, uh, any of those kinds of things, I could have done so much more in my career. And and the big brass ring for me was always, and I don't think I'm, this isn't a secret by any means, was the Super J Cup. Yeah. I don't want to win a Super J Cup. I just wanted to be invited to the Super because to me, that's the ultimate validation. For many people, that's probably WrestleMania. For many people, it's whatever that thing is. For me, that's the Super J Cup. I never made it. I never had a sniff. And when I look back on all the things I got wrong, from ignorance or whatever, I thought, if someone had helped aim me, maybe I could have done the thing I wanted most of all, because I let myself down. But somewhere out there in the world is the next me. 
And I'm going to make sure through my book, my podcast, my YouTube series, the seminars that I teach, the message I give to people, if there's somebody out there who's about to make those mistakes from the ignorance, I'm going to fill in all those blanks. You're never going to make the mistakes I made. Just pay attention to what I'm putting out there so that the next one of me gets his super Jacob. That's, that's, that's lovely again. I can, I constantly like think about like if I had the resources now that like we look, we went to the Dragon Post School tonight and think about it when when we broke in, the people who were training us hadn't really done anything or gone through anything. They tonight, for example, use Mark. Mark's fifteen years into his career. He's he's wrestled for nearly every major promotion you can wrestle for, and is now a WWE superstar. And has held a belt in the WWE. Like, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. Yeah. But again, having those resources. So I love the fact that again, it is about looking at this generation, looking at the mistakes that you made, and the stuff that wasn't available to you, and trying to give them the best possible chance to succeed. Because you didn't have that chance to do it. And I think, given the where we are now with time, I think this does lead perfectly into what I usually use as my last question. So if you were to if you were to go back and give your former self advice, what would it be? If you could go back in time, if you could land on your doorstep, if you were a DeLorean was gonna pull up outside your house <laughs> and you know there's only two thousand of those maids. Right, I know who to call. If we need one, I know who to call. <laughs> there's only two thousand maids. <laughs> um, and you were able to go and speak to to Mike, who's literally just had his first handful of matches, what advice would you give him? Um, I, I guess it's this. There's, no matter what you think you know or how much you've accomplished or experienced, there's always somebody who knows more, has experienced more, or has an insight that's never even dawned on you. And your job as a wrestler is to keep finding him. That's it. Where can they find you, uh, Mike, and where can they find all the wonderful projects that you're currently working on? You can find me at my apartment if you want to stop by. Uh, I have a Keurig. I can make you something. And uh, <laughs> online, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mike Quackenbush. I uh, caved to peer pressure recently to get the Instagrams. So I'm MQ underscore thousand holds, T-H-O-U-S-A-R-D. I don't think I follow you on the Instagram, so I think I will be. Um, and I am... My Instagram account, I will admit, is a, is a little more of my obtuse sense of humor, and it's also me kind of poking fun at weird trends in social media, and is definitely less curated than my Twitter. Like what? What's, what weird trends? Um, so, uh, something I'm really big on is uh, my hashtag, Pokemon Amidst Urban Decay, and it's cute, snuggly pocket monsters photographed against gray fields, crumbling buildings, and deindustrialization. And uh, I'm always posting it's a cause I'm really passionate about. And I hope that you understand how absurd it is to campaign about these things as a professional wrestler. And that's why I'll keep doing it until we all get the joke. Um, so look forward to that uh, and other weird content. Uh, so there's that, of course. And then Till We Make It is my YouTube channel. Yep. I publish every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's meant for you no matter where you're at in your journey as a pro wrestler. If you just start training tomorrow... Start watching tonight. If you've been doing this for 10,000 matches, I got videos for you. Um, whether you're 
deeply into firmly establishing your legacy as you're maybe getting ready to exit or you've just entered, I try to put content there for everyone. Um, it's super secret content that cannot be accessed by fans. That's why I put it on YouTube. So if you're thinking of going there to subscribe to my channel or drive up my view count, you should know it is strictly forbidden for wrestling fans to look at this top secret information I've placed on a free platform. That's where you can find me. <laughs> Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure, not just for this chat, but it's been an absolute pleasure. We've had the, the two hours down, we had the hour before this conversation and and the countless hours that we had in the in the wonderful weather schools as well that we uh, <laughs> did as well. We've been talking the whole day away. You really have. I was just thinking as I was at weather schools, I was like, I think I've literally been speaking to Mike for maybe ten hours today. This is yeah. an and I can I just say as well, for me personally at the the fifteen year old sit in Mike Hitchman's bedroom and watch Shikara music videos that sometimes I do have to kind of take a step back and realize that like I said today I spent 10 hours with Mike Quackenbush and one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, things I ever did was um, WrestleMania weekend New Orleans it, I do believe it was me and it was again the way I have to do this it was me you and it was Nick Gage and Zack Sabre Jr. Mm -hmm. at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah. talking about pro wrestling. And that, to me, is still one of the most bizarre sentences I think I've ever said. <laughs> the, the pleasure has been mine. If only for, not for everything else, but if only for, this really is like the most time you and I, I think have ever spent together. Yep. And that's really been great to like, not that we haven't always kind of been acquaintances and pals, but to feel like I made a new friend in wrestling. Even here I am, 25 plus years in. Appreciate that, Mike. I really do, and uh, I hope that uh, that we can sit down at some point. That's maybe not on a car journey, and uh, we can really thrash it out and see what's happened in the next ten years of pro wrestling. Right on. Thank you. How good was that? Um, as I said, I know it gets a little bit uh, choppy in the middle, got a little bit loud, so thank you very much for sticking with it. But how wonderful is Mike Quackenbush? As I said, that that Marvel story, the uh, the story about Adrian reaching out to him as well, and hopefully we can get that uh, match with Noam to take place at some point in the future when all this is cleared up. I'd love to see that match of Ray Ray Woods, and I know that uh, Noam would probably love to get it done as well. Um, but yeah, what so again, I was driving, and you don't expect... So you don't expect these podcasts a lot of the time to be emotional, of course, that they are, but I didn't expect to get that off. Uh, Mike, Mike, who can be quite assertive, and Mike, who is very direct, and Mike is very professional, so I wasn't really expecting it to be a, a very emotional episode um, from Mike Quackenbush, and of course it wasn't overly emotional, but it was more emotional than I thought, and he hit on some lovely points, and while listening to it, it kind of really made me remember how much I really did enjoy spending those 12 hours with Mike throughout that day. And I'm glad that I was able to record just a snippet of it to share with you you people. And I hope uh, you really enjoyed it. And I think it's an absolutely great episode to uh, to start off with. And I uh, just want to say that uh, hopefully, again, I said at the end, but hopefully I can sit down with Mike in five years, ten years time, a proper discussion. Maybe I'll go to the Wrestle Factory at some point and uh, I can have a really proper good discussion with Mike and we can look at what the la the next five to ten years holds because man so much happens in wrestling it really does I was just just talking again to uh, Tom Frazier 
because um, he's releasing a podcast uh, in the next week or so and uh, again go check out his because again we're all going to need uh, stuff to take our mind off what's going on in the world go listen to Tom Frazier's podcast no doubt that'll be absolutely great but I was talking to Tom and saying that uh, yeah Travis Banks was in my first 10 episodes of the podcast and uh, since and that he had only just arrived at progress at that point he had just come from the crowd and uh, joined the South Wales the South Pacific power trip so that's crazy the fact that that's where Travis was when uh, when I first started the podcast and I went for two years without really kind of dropping an episode it was just two years constantly bam 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 and I've had a year off so it's been nearly three three and a half years since I sat down with Travis Banks so uh, yeah absolutely crazy how much can change and uh, no doubt in the next six months I'll probably get Travis back on you I am of course going to be trying to sort out some episodes uh, for the coming weeks um, I am of course practicing social distancing as everyone else is so these episodes will be done over Skype um, Tom Frazier's been giving me a hookup on some new software if not I will be begging and pleading and bothering the wonderful Dave Ewell and uh, asking him to uh, teach me how to do uh, recording uh, some other methods because he is a guru when it comes to all this stuff and he's my uh, he's my wrestling dad that's what I like to call him um, and uh I'll probably be bothering him, but yeah, there definitely will be some episodes, and maybe drop me, uh, maybe drop me a, a tweet or or something, and let me know who you'd like to be on. I've got maybe a couple in mind, but um, yeah, if there's anyone who hasn't been on the podcast, because that's another thing as well. I'm on episode ninety-seven with this one, so I've got another three before I hit hundred, and I did say to myself, I was not going to repeat anyone until I hit episode hundred. So you got three episodes before I start repeating somebody. So do not list anyone who hasn't. Uh, appear on the po- who has appeared on the podcast so please don't do that and uh, if you do start repeating it then uh, how about you go back and listen to the, all the rest of the podcast there's 100 episodes to listen to that's over over like every episode's over an hour um, so there's probably easily 150 hours worth of podcasts from myself all for free on iTunes SoundCloud Podcast Addict or wherever wherever you get your podcasts from and uh, yeah go check that out and after you've listened to all 100 then maybe drop me a tweet and tell me who you would like to have on the podcast next. That would be absolutely great. But yeah, big thanks to Mike Quackenbush for being on the show. And uh, Mike, hopefully get you back on again soon. Of course, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to uh, support it by telling everyone about it. As I said at the start of the intro, I did turn and say that I hate editing these podcasts. It's why I stopped but yeah, that'd be absolutely great. So come on, keep suggesting it. Keep telling everyone about it. Tweet about it. Put it on your Reddit groups. Put it on your Facebook groups. Put it on your Instagram stories. Just encourage people to do it because my 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 goal here would love to be able to not have to edit this podcast and I can kind of outsource it and I can, A, just concentrate on making the content, which would be absolutely great and the content would be even better then because I'll have more time. Um, it also allows me then to pay somebody else uh, who works in the wrestling field, who needs the money and is very good at stuff like this, maybe someone like Kelly Six, that would be absolutely fantastic. And uh, it also means that you have wonderful podcasts to listen to, so support it just by telling other people about how much you enjoy it. And hopefully by the time this is all over, we'll have continuous podcasts all the bloody time. It would be great. Smash it. Yeah, fantastic. But yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's it. I guess that's everything. Uh, big thanks to Mike Quackenbush for being on the show. Big thanks for you for listening to it and for sharing. See, I'm planting that seed, planting that seed right in there. Sharing, rate, reviewing, subscribing, doing everything you need to do. Big thanks for doing all that. 
And uh, all's left to say, I guess, is uh, always a pleasure, always a treasure. And bye. Thanks for stopping by. Stay safe, people. Stay safe.